I've had so many things happen to me that I never dreamed would happen. And it's all a result of uh, being around good people and getting on good teams. Hello, <clears throat> welcome to episode two of Championship Vision Podcast. On this episode, we are going to be talking to Coach Pete Acock, legendary Coach Pete Acock, 23 seasons as head coach, 460 wins, Appling County boys basketball coach. He had three region titles. He had three Coach of the Year awards and a record of 143-22 and 22 at Appling County. At Monticello High School in Mississippi, he had four district titles, three Southern Mississippi titles, and 180 wins. Cathedral Academy in Atlanta, 108-29, and 29, three region titles. He also coached at Drones Juco, Juco College, and won Coach of the Year honors and regular state title and team scoring title. What is the purpose of our podcast? <coughs> Championship Vision is about impact and sharing with fellow coaches. I will divide the podcast into what I call my super six questions. Each question is specifically designed for that guest based on their coaching experience. It is going to be a rapid fire <clears throat> podcast that will yeah, we'll get right into that specific coach and he will provide you some great information. Some He will share with you and have a great impact on your coaching career. I'm looking forward to this podcast, and thank you very much. And I'm excited to introduce Mr. Pete Acott. Coach. Hello. Hey, man. Coach Acock, welcome. We're hooked up. That's great. Great. Hey, I'm looking yes, forward. Sir. Yeah. <laughs> um, hey, I'm so excited about you being on the. Uh, um, we got a legendary coach, Pete Acock, with us. Um, he's going to be sharing and uh, trying to impact all the coaches out there. Hey, Coach, let's just jump right into it. Are you ready? Hey, um, ready? hey, the first question is, uh, we're so excited to have you uh, in our, our Legends Clinic. This is the third year. Give me – Tell me about what you think of our Legends Clinic. I know it's only the third year, but tell me what you think about what we're trying to do. Well, I think it's the best thing I've been to, and I can't remember when. I've been around a long time and been to all kind of clinics and heard just about every basketball coach that speaks, <laughs> speak. But I think it's the best one I've ever been to. Uh, the information is just beyond belief. Uh, we've got two girls coaches there that uh, – are probably not they go beyond legendary that's gene dirt and ac mccullers that have won so many state championships you don't have enough fingers to count them on and um and not only that they're great teachers and great clinicians and if i had a son that was a new coach i would put him in my car and take him to this clinic i can tell you that and 
not only those, we've got so many other people that are coming in. LaVon Mercer, the great player at the uh, University of Georgia for so many years and played in Israel, the professional league, and, and the uh, two coaches from uh, Georgia College are there. And, and plus you get fed in a beautiful setting. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know how you can beat it for the, for the money. And, uh, no, I would tell you, I, I think young coaches would uh, really do their self well to be there and bring your notebook and get up close and personal. And I promise you, you're going to learn some things that it took us old coaches a long, long time to pick up. Yeah, we're excited to have you, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit later about what your topic's going to be. Of course, you're going to talk about it, and I'm excited to hear about it because Gene Durden mentioned a long time ago, he says, Coach Pete Aycock had the best fast-breaking system I've ever seen. That's coming from the great, you know, from Gene. Um, Hey, my my next question is, how did you get started in coaching? And, you know, the question is, I always ask coaches, you know, why why are you – what what kind of motivated you to become a coach, and how did you get into uh, coaching? Right. Well, I'm going to tell you, but you're probably not going <laughs> to believe it. Okay. <laughs> I was a young man, and I had uh, just dropped out of college, and uh, I was drafted. Had already taken my physical, and they sent me home for Christmas and said in January I would be headed to Vietnam. And uh, I went home for Christmas and went and watched my brother practice basketball. And his uh, coach, Coach Price, I don't know, I just got to know him. And about after the third day of practice of me just observing, he just walked over to me and said, would you like to help me coach? And I said, Coach, look, I'm going to be in Vietnam dodging bullets. It's where I'm going to be. As soon as January hits, I'm gone to the Army. And he just like an old coach say, he said, son, I didn't ask you that. He said, I asked you if you'd like to help me coach. And I gave him the same answer again. He says, look, I'm going to ask you one more time. Would you like to help me coach? I said, well, I keep telling you I'm going to Vietnam, but whatever, just whatever. I'll be, be glad to. Yeah, sure, let's do it. And I thought it was kind of a big joke. But in three days, he had me deferred from the Army. And when January came, I was teaching eighth grade English and math and helping him coach for the last half of the year. And that's how it happened. <laughs> but I had already been coaching since I was 14 years old. I had my own baseball team. I had an adult there supervising, but I was a coach of my own baseball team there. And so it was just kind of always in me. And I always admired coaches and school principals and preachers and things like that. And uh, my daddy was a great, great basketball player in high school. In fact, in 1940, he scored 44 points <laughs> in one game. And, you know, back in those days, you could play three right. games and not score 44 points. But, uh, but no, it, it's, I had several aunts who were all state players. And my daddy was all state, you know, at our, our hometown. But that's how I got into it. It's almost like it was the finger of another force. I had some, some influence in that. But he got me, and I was there. And the next year he became the uh, – Yeah, it's so interesting how coaches there. become coaches. I mean, it's almost like you know, everybody thinks, you know, they've had – you know, all this, this training and so forth. A lot of your greatest coaches, it's almost somebody influenced them. And that goes to my next question is what is one coach that had the most influence on you becoming a coach? Well, I had one great coach in high school for six months 
and the rest of them were not very good coaches. I didn't, they just weren't. But I had one, W.T. Watson in Crossett, Arkansas, and in the six months I was able to be there with him, I learned something about intensity and um, playing man defense, straight up getting in people's face. But then the other one was after I started coaching was Burt Jenkins uh, from uh, Gulfport, Mississippi. He's legendary all over the southeast, and he uh, had one team one year was 44-0. and 0, once, Of course, one say he won – I can't remember the titles. But anyway, he was the – probably the greatest coach ever in the state of Mississippi, arguably anyway he was. And uh, then I uh, hired his uh, son as my assistant when I moved to Georgia. And, uh, of course, his I said his assistant. I, I got his son as my assistant. I said it wrong, I think. But he brought a lot of his dad's knowledge with me, and uh, he's the one that taught me how to play man-to-man defense. I spent a lot of money on the phone. He was so patient with me, and and uh, taking the time to talk to me and teach me. And I just created a relationship with him, and wherever where he went, I went. He spoke at clinics all the time, and I'd always be there on the front row, you know, taking notes and talking on the phone. And, and uh, he acted like he enjoyed it, and I sure did. Uh, <laughs> phone bills were awful, but uh, we just went with it. But Bert Jenkins was a, was a great, great man. He really was, and uh, – he was the man, and he played straight up man-to-man defense forever. He was the master of it, and and he taught. He willingly shared everything. You know, most coaches aren't they that way? The older coaches that they're willing to share just about anything with you. And I totally agree. Great ones are just like Gene Durham. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Gene. You can call him up today, and you can you can yeah. walk over there. I mean, you can you know walk on the campus over there, and Gene will kind of sit with you for an hour. And just talk to you about, you know, if you have any questions. That's right. uh, but that's rare. Gene, that's what I'm saying. Gene's a mentor, and I consider you a mentor because you don't have to spend any time with me. Your coaching day, actually, your coaching days are still going on because you're still having influence. So I totally agree with you, Pete, on that. Well, it's uh, coaching. A lot of people think it's a whole lot of fun, but it's really not. <laughs> It's very pressurized, and uh, after a while, you, you kind of get to the place where you kind of the the wins are not as joyful as the defeats <laughs> so are true. bad, yeah. you know. And uh, and and it does, but it is hard, hard work. And I never really encourage anybody. I can tell whether somebody has it in them to do it or not, because it it doesn't make a lot of sense when you add up the pluses and minuses. It really doesn't. But it's just like me. I have the disease, and I don't. I think I'll die most likely. I yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we appreciate what you have offered in this clinic, and I want to talk to you about clinics. I know you and Lynn West mentioned one time you had an opportunity to go uh, see John Wooden, and my, my question is, what is the best clinic you have ever been? Because I'm a clinic, and I love clinics. I mean, that's why I'm doing this. And why did this clinic have a, a big influence on you? Well, the reason this clinic is so much better than the other clinics is we have a college basketball team. You do. You have a college basketball team there and a girls team and a men's team that already know how to play the game. And you can demonstrate so easily. You can just uh, – most of them, you tell them you want to assign a lane and run the number break, a lot of them already know how to do it. Yeah. But just having those college kids there, it just creates an excitement and, and the coach can just – 
see, most of the big-time clinics that you go to or that I used to go to, uh, they didn't have people out there to demonstrate. It was, it was more verbal. And we all know as being teachers that you can't just verbalize all the time. You've got to have a picture. You've got to be able to show it to people and to see that. And at, our, at your clinic, uh, the whole thing, you've got players right there running the system right in front of your eyes. And if somebody needs to say, would you stop and do that again? Yeah. The Cardinal sure. stop and do it again. A.C. McCullers will. The first thing I would tell these coaches, if you come to our clinic, you can – A.C. And, and, and Coach Durden, A.C. McCullers and Coach Durden, if you just go up and tell them, would you help me, I promise you, you're going to get all the help in the world from the, probably two of as good of coaches that have ever breathed. They have – don't they have – they have it on paper, anything you want. There it is. And that's what you do, too, with your program. You've got it all down on paper, all the drills – from, from start to beginning, from summertime to, to whenever. Yeah, absolutely. I've never been to a clinic, and I'm going to tell you, I have to say, I think it's the best clinic that I've been to. I really do. And I've been to a lot of them. I've paid a lot of money to see a lot of big-time coaches. I've uh, seen some of them uh, at a clinic half drunk. Uh, <laughs> you know, here we pay all this money to come down. and and uh, But, no, one time I, I went to – I guess the one that influenced us the most was Lynn West and I went to a clinic over in Alabama, and I even forget where it was, to be honest with you. But John Wooden was speaking there, and there was no demonstration. He was just talking, and he made a comment that he said, uh, when uh, this, is, this is over now, he said, I'm going to get me something to drink and go to the restroom here. And he says, I'm going to be at such and such a place over here in the hotel, and, and if anybody wants to come ask questions, um, I'll be there and answer questions as long as you, you would never think John Wood would do something like that. You know, you think you'd have somebody escort him out of the room. No. And so Lynn West and I, when he said where he was going to be in five minutes, we just took off in a sprint almost, you know, <laughs> just to get there to be the first ones there. And we did. But what I learned is that from that experience right there is that everybody is not that concerned about learning. Because Lynn West and I, and I think it was either two or three other people is all that showed up. Wow. And here you've got arguably a lot of people, even some football coaches, they'll tell, still tell you that John Wood's the greatest coach that ever lived. No doubt. And here he's going to present himself to us in a session to ask any question that we want as long as we want. And we stayed there for a long time, just talking basketball and everything else. And, and I, I think he would have stayed there all night long if we had if we had wanted to, you know. And Pete, don't you? But I hadn't forgot that. Yeah, yeah. And, I remember that to this day. Of course, you you mentioned that even at Lynn's funeral, and I thought that was unbelievable. Um, and how many coaches, John Wooden? That's from what I hear about Coach Wooden. He was so approachable. How many college coaches are approachable today? I'm going to tell you, very few. I mean. Not many. I mean, they seriously. To. They, they see high school. They do. They see high school coaches as wasting their time, unless you're a kind of a big time AAU coach now. Then it's a different story. And I don't, but I found the great ones are givers. Yeah. Yeah. Like a Gene Durden until the day he dies and AC McCullers. AC McCullers is going to come to the clinic with a suitcase <laughs> full of paperwork that he's put together stapled together and the whole program is there so he can just put his whole program right in your hands yeah and nobody's won more games than ac mccullers <laughs> you're and, right 
did you see the suitcase that you had with all this that paperwork in it? Oh, no, no. Pull this back. Here's my press right here. Yeah, here's, yeah. here's how we teach man to man. This is how we get the ball to the post. Yeah. And that's why the, I don't think you can afford to miss this clinic. And it's in a beautiful setting. It's a beautiful gym. And, and again, having all those players there with their coaches to whatever the, a coach wants to run, you can run it full speed. And everybody's right there up close and personal. And I think that's the best clinic I've ever been to, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the experience with John Wooden was, uh, was a special thing. Coach, what do you um, – hey, let's, I, um, let's, let's talk about your topic because um, that's what – I mean, let's – I'm hoping people who are going to be listening to this will come to the clinic, but your topic is on press offense and fast break. And to add to that, what are some of the drill? How do you teach it? Actually, for me as a coach, how do you teach it to your – Right. Well, I learned a long time ago that it's not so important what you know, it's whether you know how to teach. And you have to come up with ways to teach it. And you got to do it over and over and over and over, just repetition. But many years ago, a guy named Sonny Allen, you probably don't remember him uh, at all, but he was at Old Dominion College for a long time. They went to New Island, Las Vegas. Uh, but he had what he calls Sonny's Fast Break, and it's a, the uh, numbered break, and it's a, it's a system that's where kids run the same lanes every time. It's been around a long time, but there's a lot of people that aren't aware of it. But it's where you assign – you have a, I call it assignment basketball. And it makes all the difference in the world because you know where all your players are going to be when you get to the end of the floor, and you put marks on the floors. You teach it for those spots for them to run to. And then you can get into your early offense so quickly that way. But once the kids start to, to understand, but the key to the whole thing is inbounding the basketball and how you do that. And uh, it is amazing. It's about transition. But now the way you teach transition, you know, once you, you have your kids, you can show them the break, the numbered break, and, and, and they can catch on to it. But – it's the transition. It's the amount of time it takes you to transition from, from defense to offense. So when you scrimmage, I have a special way that I scrimmage. It's five on five, uh, naturally. And as you're running your offense, the defense always has the option that when, we, when the offense shoots the ball, if they get the, the rebound, or if, then they go to the other end and run the break. So it's always a live scrimmage. And they go down and they come back. But one of the things that helps teach the transition, it's going to be so simple, nobody's going to want to remember it. But it, right in the middle of a possession, I just, I just holler as, dead, as loud as I can. I'll just holler, dead, dead. And it means turnover. And that means whoever's got the ball has got to drop the ball right there. They're on offense, and they've got to sprint back on defense. The other team that was on defense just grabs the ball and goes to the other end and tries to score. And then – the other team brings it back and tries to score. So you don't know when that transition period is going to happen. See, and it happens like that in the game. All of a sudden, bam, turnover. You know, and in different spots, the kid may have the baseline, and I'll, I'll just say dead ball, or you can call it the color red if you want to. And uh, all of a sudden, you don't stand around and look around. You've got to, you know that when that any time the ball changes hands, it's a transition. 
even after May, you inbound the ball run to break the other end and run it back. So it's a down and a back. And that's made the difference in us being able to make the transition because it's a mental thing. And uh, But the uh, break off the numbered, uh, the numbered break is, is, is not complicated. It's very simple. I put it in during summer basketball one year, and our kids caught on to it correctly, and our, our scoring averages went up. I have had several – well, I won't say several, but a lot of years. We, we'd go over 90 almost every game. We'll, I had a team one year. We had 13 games. We went over 100 points against good teams. And um, you can score off of it. Uh, and I can tell you this, that almost every year that I've run the numbered break, uh, all five of my starters would average double figures. It spreads the scoring out. It keeps the ball. People talk about turnovers, turnovers, turnovers. You know the best way not to have a turnover? Keep the ball in your best ball handler's hand. Let him be the guy that's going to bring it down the floor to the spots and then run that offense. And um, it makes a big difference, but you have to – I think it's uh, – Sonny Allen was the one that, that came up with it and, and made it popular. But it came out of uh, West Virginia, uh, Marshall right. University is, uh, is where it came from, how that invented it. And I'll think, I can't think of his name right now, but I'll now, think Coach, of it a little you, bit. But that break yeah, is something I Yeah, love. are you um, – Go ahead. I know a lot of coaches like to do breakdown drills. Are you more of a breakdown – uh, coach, or, or are you – and I think the trend nowadays is actually doing more five-man five man transition and just kind of teaching out of that. What do you like to do with your, with your break? Are you breaking it down or, or going more five-man? Well, on the break, to teach the break, we have a, a continuity where you run it full court nonstop for about five – I mean, it's hard, wide open. Everybody gets to shoot. It's just to, to groove the motion and the, the line and where you run and getting in your lanes and all. We do that. But, no, when I have my, my very best teams, we'd spend about, gosh, I guess 75, 80% of the time on defense. But And we scrimmage very little. But if I had it to do over again, I would scrimmage a lot more like I was yeah. telling you just a moment ago about where you have five on five and then you make the transition down the back. And a lot of people don't like that, but you've got to keep score. It, it keeps your second team excited because if they get a stop, they get to go. You've seen people scrimmage half court, haven't you? And it's yeah, kind yeah. Of just dull because of the five, you know, are going against – and your defenders all of a sudden they're just standing there glazed with glazed eyes and not playing much defense. And uh, that it makes a big difference. But, no, I, I think you've got to do – I think it's a balance between the two. I, I, Gene Durden uses the term grind, but you've got to learn to grind. And, see, I, I didn't do that as much as I should. If I had to do over again, I would have what I call grind. Time. That's where you get half court and you're going to make four, five, six, seven, eight passes, and you're going to run that offense, and you're going to grind it out just to show your team that you can do it. And championship time comes, you better know how to grind or you're not going to win. Right. Because teams are just too good. And um, I would uh, – the boy I told you Sonny Allen about was that he, he did – the whole thing was him. He scrimmaged constantly the whole, the whole uh, practice. Taught off of – Full court yeah. scrimmaging constantly, and he averaged in the nineties. Yeah, there's something to be said about it. I think 
I think I think every, some people about believe is right. If you're a drills coach, man, that's what you got to do. Um, I do both, but um, yeah. I see more and more coaches going more five men. See, I more five. Oh, they are. But I think a lot of times, I think you've got to have yeah, a yeah, dozen or sure. drills that actually happen in the game. See, the guy at Arkansas, Nolan Richardson, he called it 40 minutes of hell. People thought that was just saying, well, that's how it was going to be that bad when you played him. No. He had a 40-minute period every day that never changed. And it was just about eight to 12 drills that were just just taxed, you know. Yeah. And I think you've got to have drills sure. as a part. But you've got to and grind and you've got to teach and the kids like the scrimmage so it's a battle because the scrimmaging can get away from you but I know this if you play great defense with vicious hands and rebound you're going to probably be in let me ask you yeah let me ask and you mentioned if you had to do it again my next question I'm going to ask every coach on our podcast is if you – what is one thing, if you had to start today learning from your past, what would you do differently today than what you did in the past? Well, it's what I mentioned a while ago. I would learn to grind because I wanted to run. I wanted to run on every possession, maids, missed, sideline inbounds. It didn't matter. We wanted to get a shot up in eight seconds. And – uh I, I think that worked really well. We won a lot of games and won a couple state titles. But I would have been a much better coach had I learned to grind. And I, when you, if you come to our clinic, you'll, Gene Durden will explain that to you. And um, probably the other thing, well, I think that's the main thing right there with me, is just that learning how to play. I guess you could use the term play slow. Because they're going to force you into it. They're going to force you. Well, you with you don't have much talent there where you are. Don't you force people into playing slow? I mean, if they can't <laughs> right, grind, right. you're probably going to beat them. And it, I mean, it, it does. It, uh, and, and you've got to do that when you've got people that are bigger and stronger and faster than you. But I never learned how to do that. I really didn't. But I would learn. A, and the other thing I, I did that was so bad is I – we kind of thought that if you played, anybody played zone, you weren't really a full-grown man. You know, you were just kind of a average. And it, zone was a pejorative, so to speak. And I, I never learned much about it. We ran the same offense against the zone. We did a man-to-man. And we won with it. But I think it really hurt us when it came grind time. Yeah. And I would uh, certainly spend a lot more time on zone. Yeah, and I think coaches need to really look into that because um... – Sometimes you have to make – I know with me personally, uh, we, we, I like to change defenses. Of course, the, the personnel that I have, we have to – if we just went straight man-to-man all the time, a lot of the schools would just beat us. So we have to outwork, outsmart people. Uh, and sometimes just by that one change of defense, zone the man, no, it makes a big difference. Oh, <laughs> I mean – is uh, a great thing. Yeah, I got this one. Rick Patino's team play, boy, they they were they were super at that. Um, but 
No, we did this. We after a made after a made field goal, we'd go hard man to man all over the court, and, and sometimes after misses, we'd just drop back in a one three one, half court one three one. That's what I, I had a great junior high team, and we never played anything but that. And uh, I guess the best game I ever coached in my life was we played hard man to man full court run and jump, but when the ball got to the old hash mark, we melted into a one three one, and we beat a team where all five guys on their team sign a college scholarship and uh, i got away <laughs> from that though i don't know why but you, you better know all all of it i, I was too single-minded i think it's, it's, if i had it yeah, i would be more balanced on um yeah on defense especially but i do believe this kevin even if you're going to play zone all the time you need right. to practice man-to-man defense constantly if you can't play man-to-man defense, you're not going to play a good zone. But if you can play man-to-man defense and you play zone, some zone, you're going to have a great zone, great zone, because those defensive fronts. Right, right. Change. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. Um, Coach, I, I want to ask you another question here, and, and we're, we're getting towards the end. Um, and I really appreciate the knowledge, man. Yeah, I always love, I always, I always love hearing you, Pete. I mean. You, your stories, um, you know, just great wisdom. And that's why I love older coaches because, man, it, it just it's just part of you guys. And uh, we don't do enough as younger coaches. Of course, I'm not that young, but uh, of trying to get a mentor to help us out and ask questions. I don't think, I don't think we do enough of that. Um, but let me ask you, if you were starting a program today, give me your top three areas of priority. I mean, what are your top three? And I know I've heard it before, but how would you get a program off the ground? What are your top three? Well, I think the first thing you got to do is it's got to be defense. You, you can talk to your blue in the face. Defense is kind of like grinding on offense. Um, if you can't do it, you're going to probably – you can beat a lot of teams just by running the break like I like to run it. You know, you can just beat them uh, offensively. But when it gets championship time, tournament time, you better be able to do other things besides what you love to do. And one of them is just simply being a great – and you can you can be a great defensive team and not have a, a good team. It's the great equalizer. And uh, you, you it's got to be aggressive. Whenever, when talent is equal, usually the most aggressive team is going to win. But most people do not take the time to learn how to teach man-to-man defense. All you got to do is go up and watch the University of Virginia play four or five games, and you see, you see all the principles there. And you can play that man defense any way you want, but you've got to play man defense. And the other thing is you start there and you demand that. And this is the thing I want to understand. I always tell these kids when I start to build a program is this. The five best defensive players are going to be my starters, period. Now, that's, you know, you say, well, what if you got a great point guard or whatever? I found out this. Those great players, they want to play so bad, if they believe you, they'll become one of your best defensive players. And I try to sell the defense in this way. I say, look, I love you, but to tell you the truth, if you're not a really good defensive player – I'm not going to respect you as a basketball player. Even if I tell you, because it has to be earned. You know, your your grandmother's going to love you anyway, but a basketball coach, the only way you're going to ever win my respect is if you're a great <laughs> defender and a great rebounder. 
and rebounding, diving on the loose balls, taking charge, and those, those kinds of things. But I think if you can sell that to them, that the five best kids, five best defenders will be the starters. You will never regret doing that. And when you teach defense, you've got to have – you've got to work on quick feet and vicious hands. If you don't have vicious hands, you're not bothering anybody. I always love to play against somebody that kept their hands just out and not moving. But, boy, when those hands start flashing – it whole game saying. And the other thing when you're teaching defense in your program, when the guy picks the dribble up, your guy has got to get his armpit on their nose. Because you've got to, you can't let people make great passes. You every pass has got to be made hard. Even if you're going to sag the defense behind them, the guy on the ball has got to step up and try to get the guy to pivot a little bit away from the basket. Those are just the things right there defensively that you've got I think you've got to do if you're going to have a great program. And, then, and there's a lot more to teaching defense than just those things, but that's where you start. But if they believe with all their heart that the five best defensive players are going to start, and rebounding is part of defense, um, you'll see you'll play at a, at, a, at a high level of intensity. And it gives your, your guys hope. <laughs> all i got to do is be a great defender. It just takes effort. Just yeah. Takes great effort. Um and I think everybody's capable of being a solid defender, not a great defender, because there's some lateral athleticism involved too. Um, what's your second area? You so you would start with D second priority. Well, it's hard to say because all of the second thing is getting back on defense. See, if you go out to the parks and recruiting, I played coach from junior college and, uh, I can tell who, who the winners are when they're playing outside on the out, outdoor courts. It's the ones that get back on defense and the ones that rebound. The rest of them are just waiting for the ball to come to them. But if you don't get back on defense, a good team, if you don't get back on one of my teams, yeah. you're just going to get beat. Um, people that play and really run the break right. But if you watch, one of the things they do in the pros, you watch those, even their big guys when the ball is shot, when they shoot it on the offensive end, what do they do? I mean, they literally turn around, and most people don't even go to the offensive boards on the pros. They maybe have one guy that goes, but the rest of them turn around and they sprint back as hard as they can. And the reason they do is because you're going to get beaten the pros if you don't get back. And so you've got to teach getting back. You can't just get out there and holler. Get back. I have a drill that, that – and what do you do? Yeah. Of, um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I didn't hear you. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no, I'm just saying you've got to have a, a way to teach getting back on defense. And it's when in one of the drills that I run. Uh, because it's such a critical part of the game is it's getting back on defense. And if you get back on defense, you beat and you win the rebounding war. And you play great man defense, whether it's sagging man-to-man like the University of Virginia or whether it's pressure man-to-man, I'm telling you, you're going to be in most every ball game, And you'll get back in ball games that way too. But you got to get back on defense, and it's, it's going to be – and whether your kids do it or not, it's going to be how important it is to you. If you don't get angry when they don't get back, then I'm telling you, they're, they're not going to get back. If you don't take them out of the game, if they don't get back, they're not going to do it because it's hard. It's not a lot of fun to it. Right, for sure. And, but you got to demand it. You really do. 
But that's the other thing that I just emphasize. But again, it's not what you know; it's what you emphasize that counts. That's that's what's going to be. That's who you are, and what you decide that you're going to master. No, I think that's what helped us is we always play great man-to-man defense. And one of the one of the phrases that I use to teach man, and, and again, it sounds so simple. I don't know that a lot of people are going to realize how important it is. It's don't let him touch you. I screamed it a million times. You get close, but it's your job not to allow the offensive player to touch you when you're playing defense. I used to have referees all the time ask me, say, Coach, how do you get them to stay so close but not touch? And I'd just laugh and say, saying it a million times in practice. So what's the yeah, yeah, emphasis? It, it yeah, was an emphasis sure. of mine, and I yeah. emphasized it so, so much. Yeah. yeah. It, it, so you you're all about, I mean, because a lot of people think it's drills, drills, drills. Yeah. It's really what you're saying is that emphasis, but consistent emphasis throughout an entire practice and season, right? I mean, um, it's built. I mean. Absolutely. My kids knew a few things, that if you didn't rebound on every possession, if you didn't have vicious hands, and if you didn't get back on defense, and if you didn't carry out our defensive philosophy, coach was going to be raising sand and we were going to be running 18s that's 18 uh yeah the width of the court 18 times in a minute and you can't you can't sell out on that i mean you've got to just demand it every single day and you have to demand it with emotion because those are the critical game that you can do everything else right but if you don't master those those things that we i've just got through talking to right right you're probably still Um, beat an awful awful lot well and and you said your third was rebounding you want to expand on that or is that right your third was rebounding so defense well it is and i'm right rebounding i remember the do you remember the guy that uh, was the first black player to ever play in the sec played for uh the guy at Alabama, he went to Kentucky as a, the, as the um, athletic director. I'll think of his name in a minute. But anyway, he recruited the first black player to play in the, ACC, in, the, in the SEC. And they'd run drills every day, and he was teaching blocking out, blocking out, blocking out. And this kid was about six seven. He was really good, a great, great player. And his, he came in his office one day, and he says, Coach, he said, I don't need to ask you a question. Because he wasn't getting a lot of rebounds. His rebounding was about cut in half. And he said, Coach, do you want me to rebound or do you want me to block out? And he said, I want you to rebound. He said, well, Coach, will you just let me rebound and see if it might not work out better? He said, fine, son, that's fine. And he said he just came alive. Right. right. Coach said he came. C.M. Newton is who it was, C.M. Newton. But he said, he just – what I'm saying is you're going to have some kids, you've got to make them block out. But there are some kids that just have a nose for the ball, and they just go get it. And if you make them block out, you're going to look up, and you've got them out there blocking out somebody that's not going to rebound anyway, and somebody else is getting the ball. Like Barkley, we always we just hollered the word Barkley over and over, and they all kids know who Barkley is, and that just means a wide bottom, wide top. That means elbows out hands and a triangle underneath your face using a, that forearm. But you, I, 
See, most kids, when they rebound, if you look, their feet are close together. Those are the ones that's not going to – the wider that base is, the more rebounds you're going to get. Just taking up room and trying to get your forearm on top of their shoulders. But I explain to them what barking means, and I constantly, when the ball is shot, I – I always have a manager, somebody hollering, Barkley, 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 Barkley. I know what that means, and you've got to demand it. But you're going to have some of those athletes that are so good sometimes, you can't demand that they block out like everybody else because they're just going to go get it. I mean, and that's the way this kid was. He went from getting about seven, eight games to getting about 12 to 15. When the coach said, well, just go get it. And you're going to, yeah. you got to know who those kids are. Yeah, it's almost like a Dennis Rodman. I mean, right there. I mean, Rod, Rodman, yeah. um, Barkley. Oh, it is. Yes. You ever seen Dennis Rodman? He was the best kidder, man. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, he was. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was. Yeah, I don't think anybody liked him. Um, but uh, that's a that's a great point, Coach. Um, hey, just to kind of finalize, the last thing that I want you to finish with is, um, you know, what is one one area of emphasis you would like to leave the listeners? If you had to give the, the coaches who are, are going to be listening one piece of advice, what would it be? Learn how to teach shooting. It's uh, most people don't know how to teach shooting. You you try to you give kids nine ways to shoot or seven. They make it such a complicated thing. Kid, you can't remember it. You just can't remember it. And it would take a while to. But I just use bird bird <laughs> feet, shot pocket, rainbow. That's it right there. I look at this. the moment that ball hits their hands. I look at their feet. I look at the ball in the shot pocket. And do they make the rainbow the proper arc? And bird feet, your feet are on a 45-degree angle, just about a 45. If you ever you're, get a film, watch bird's feet when he shoots. And uh, that shot pocket is right under the right eye, of course, with the elbow in. And you just got to make them start out every practice also, uh, bouncing the ball with one hand, catching it with one hand, putting it under your right eye, and shooting the ball with maximum arc, just with one hand, just with one hand. And it will bring that elbow in. But most coaches can't touch. And the other thing with shooting is this. It's, it's all about confidence. I would take every player and tell them, say, look, I'm going I'm to tell you what your winning shot is. And when you're open, you shoot it. You don't have to look to the bench. But And I would give every player their shot. And I, and I said, if you've got it, you better shoot it. And I always – one of my first things I do in practice, one of my great shooters, he passes up a good shot, I have a fit. I holler at him. And I said, buddy, you better never pass up another shot like that. And I would tell him that a missed shot is my responsibility because we haven't worked on it enough maybe. But if you – and this is another thing that I, I pounded in their head. If you miss five shots in a row, it just means you're going to make – Keep their confidence going. And uh, I'd make comments like, uh, oh, absolutely. See, that's why you – see, there was a kid that played for Tar Canyon one time. He recruited the number one player in the nation, brought him to Long Beach. He was a 6'4 guard, and he averaged 40-something points a game. 
and he just all of a sudden just started dwindling away. He got down to where he was only scoring 12, 14 points a game there. And Tarkanian said, all of his staff said, what in the world's wrong with this kid? And they called him in. And, and Tarkanian told him, said, son, said, you average 44 points in high school. And I said, he said, during the practice, my gosh, you're lighting it up. And all of a sudden, your shooting is just gone. He says, it's just almost like you can't shoot anymore. And this is exactly what the kid said. He said, Coach Tarkanian, I could always shoot a ball from the time I was six years old. He said, I just can't shoot for you. Tarkanian said, he said, what? He said, Coach, that's right. I can shoot. I can still shoot. I just can't shoot for you. He said, why? Why? He said, Coach, he goes, every time I take a shot or every time I miss a shot, if I miss two in a row, you, I look over at the bench over there, and you've got a frown on your face, and all your co- assistant coaches got their hands up in there like, hey, what in the world? Like every time I miss a shot, the world's going to come to an end. And he talked on, he said, Coach, I, he said, I'm just telling you, I just can't shoot for you. And he said, Tarkin looked at him, he said, Son, it's gonna, that's going to change. He said, I had a meeting with my coaches, and I told him, if anybody gets <laughs> a smile when he yeah. misses, I'm going to fire you. <laughs> you know, I don't think that's what he exactly said. But he flipped the script, and he says, We never, ever were anything but positive. Again, if a kid misses three in a row, he's just going to make three in a row. And he said from that day, he said, son, I'm going to promise you something. You're going to shoot the ball X number of times a game. I don't care what happens, and nobody's ever going to say one word to you about a shot. You understand that? He said, your missed shots are my responsibility, okay? You don't worry about it. And all I want you to do is look me in my eyes and tell me you're going to shoot it. And Tarkanian said the whole thing flipped in just a matter of two or three days. Just because it, and he just went back back to being his old self, and, and I learned from that quickly. This game of shooting, I've always had great shooters, except at one program. And I think it, because I taught shooting in a very simple way, that they could understand bird feet, shot pocket, rainbow, and the coach is going to make me shoot, and I better never complain about missing five in a row. You know, and it just changes the whole outlook on on shooting and that's that's the way i did it and i think that you've got to you can get an advantage that way if you teach shooting but you have to know how to teach it and most people just won't they um they'll get right, nine right. ways to do this and you just can't the kids can't remember that coach acock um it's been a pleasure i appreciate it and um uh, again, thank you for, uh, you're going to come to our clinic and coaches out there, make sure that you come and, um, listen to all the great coaches, including, uh, coach Acock. He'll be there on Saturday, September 22nd, coach Acock. Thank you so much for, uh, having an impact on us coaches and, uh, sharing with us. Thank you. Honor to speak with you. Honor Thanks coach. To speak with you. Thank you so much. And we'll see y'all at the clinic. The five players on the floor function as one single unit. Team, 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 right? No one more important than the other.